like people now, <laughs> which is all short for what is up. Sup? Hmm. Galatians chapter 4. Uh, the Apostle Paul, in this passage, in this book, is writing to a group of Christians, who a group of people whom he's had service, ministry with, and they've become followers of the Lord Jesus. But now they've come under an influence of others who are basically saying to them, look, just following Jesus is not enough. Faith in Jesus not enough. You also need some other things. You need to keep the law. You need to be circumcised. You need to keep the Sabbath. You need to obey the Old Testament rules and regulations and for you to be obedient to what God wants. And so they were tempted, in fact, to add to the truth of the gospel. And Paul writes to them, uh, issuing some pretty strong correctives. Back in chapter 3, verse 22, just to put it in some sort of context, um, it says that all of Scripture teaches, the Scripture imprisoned everything and everyone under sin. The Bible teaches that everybody, without exception, without distinction, is a sinner. And we are confined under that. We're in prison, Paul gives the analogy. And sin is sort of personified like a jailer and we can't get out. But Jesus has come and through faith in him, which is now revealed, as Paul goes on to say, it's through that revelation of faith in Jesus, the faithfulness of Jesus, that we have been set free. And then in chapter 4 he gives another analogy. It's a little bit like in a family where you have a dad and you have some kids, in this case a son, and the father passes away, the father dies, and the son inherits everything. But you don't get everything until you reach a certain age. You have to become of an age where the father has set or predetermined that time. That's, that's the analogy Paul gives uh, to this background. And so then he applies it to Christmas. Then he applies it to us, to Jesus. You see, verse 4. When the appropriate time had come, the fullness of time, when... Um, the time set by the Father had come. That time, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why? To redeem those who were under the law, so that we might be adopted as sons with full rights. Yep. This is slightly different. This is the NET I have in front of me. Verse 6. And because you are sons children of God, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts who calls Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave but a son. And if you are a son, a child of God, then you are also an heir through God. We're going to pray. Before we do pray, welcome to Katie back. And so that um, schoolies was great. Um, any stories to tell? Highlights quickly? 3,000 people. Wow. Woo! 12. Gee, are they hanging together following somebody? Nothing knows being cheeky. 12 was like the 12 disciples. And Go on, that's exciting. Yeah. So a thousand gospel conversations that you know, it talks. Excellent. So God it was at work and 12 people that we know of came to faith. Outstanding. And we need to pray for Brad and for Rachel who are overseas. We got an email during the week. Want to update us, Barbara?
what do they say in the email? That first week went well, having lots of short conversations because language is a bit of a problem. Um, so pray for that, that they'll improve there a little bit. Rachel was asking for deeper, more meaningful conversations. Um, had done lots of things. So I continue to pray for Brad and Rachel, Central Asia. Uh, and also to pray for unity in the team. There was an issue there that Rachel... It was Rachel who wrote the email, wasn't it? I think so. Um, just that there'll be harmony, because there's a little bit of tension, particularly for one member of the team is a little bit out of step, out of sorts, or things not going quite right. And of course we need to pray for tonight. See the magnificent stage out there? and I've been praying for weeks now that God would give us a clear blue sky and a nice sunny day and a magnificent time out tonight. So I don't care how much it rained up until yesterday. Today has to be clear blue sky and sun, nice drying wind. And then I got told the prediction for tonight. Have you heard the prediction? Thunderstorms, hail and... Nobody else knows this, but that stage yesterday had to be moved by hand into place. Some people here know that because the truck was too long for that to get exactly into the right place. So we had to, about half a dozen of us or more, had to lift it up and move it and drag it. And because it, the ground was wet, it just kept bogging down. And so those guys did a magnificent job. So we need to pray that God makes the weathermen wrong. No, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that we have the privilege both of gathering together but of coming into your presence because of what Jesus has done for us. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for the great news of what happened at schoolies and all of the conversations and then particularly of the 12 who have crossed the line who have become new followers of the Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray that you might keep them, that you might disciple them and that you might help them to find, place them in good churches with good, strong fellowship. And Lord, may your spirit continue to speak to many others who have had the seed of the gospel, part of it, planted in their minds. We pray for Brad and for Rachel in Central Asia and ask that you'll protect them, that you will help them with the language, that you will give them good opportunities to share truths about Jesus, the reason for why they went. And we ask, Lord, for harmony in relationships between believers. You might keep the evil one at bay and help all to be in close, intimate contact with you. And we pray for ourselves here tonight, Lord, we do ask for good weather, for the opportunity to, uh, for the community to come, for us to sing and to celebrate and to glorify the Lord Jesus, uh, for your word to be read and spoken about, for the truth to be clearly presented. Lord, our desire is for that to be outside. We thank you for all of those who have been preparing uh, for this occasion, and so we commit it to you. And we ask, Lord, and we are glad to be submissive to your sovereign will. Most importantly, Lord, we want Jesus to be glorified, whether that's inside or outside. But, Lord, our desire, and we present it to you, is for good weather and for outside. Speak to us now, we pray, through this portion of your word. Help us to understand and to apply truth to our lives, we pray 
in the name of Jesus. Everybody said? Verse 4. But when the appropriate time had come, when the fullness of time had come, when the time was just right, God acted. God has always been acting in human history. He's been acting right up until this point. And Paul refers to, not in detail, but he said there was a timing event that had to come to pass when the appropriate time had come. What was that time? Well, we don't know from the divine perspective what the timing was in the mind and heart of God, what was needing there. But in human perspective, from the human situation, there have been many scholars and commentators who have thought about this, and here is a compilation of about eight things they said all came together at this point, which made it exactly right for Jesus to come. Firstly, it was the Roman Empire. And because there was one empire throughout the Mediterranean world, and because that was a dominant force, there was this thing called the Peace of Rome, the Pax Romana, the peace that came because of a sovereign power. It was a, a peace that was brought about by force. You know, it was like the peace of Hitler back in Germany. It was rebel against this and you will be dealt with by a mighty army, a mighty force behind it. But it did lead to peace of a, an ending of hostilities amongst those nations that had been conquered, at least... There were not lots of wars and rebellions going on. They were outside the empire, on the edge of the empire, where they were still expanding, but within the empire there was a time of peace amongst many, many nations. That's the first thing. Secondly, Alexander the Great had proceeded this time and had conquered that world and had taken the Greek language with him. So it meant throughout the Roman Empire there was a united language. It was now possible to go cross-cultural, now possible to go to another country under the peace protection of Rome and to speak in a language, the lingua franca was Greek, where everybody could be understood. The Jewish people likewise had been scattered throughout, this is the third point, scattered throughout that ancient Roman world. Associated with the Jewish people being scattered in every city, fourthly, they had built synagogues, places of meeting. And in the synagogues, they would read the Old Testament which by this time the canon of the Old Testament is established. So peace, full reign of an empire, everybody able to speak a common language as well as their own heart language. Uh, people in meeting places where the word of God was being taught and read. Where the Jewish people, because of the Babylonian exile, who were no longer focused on idols or syncretism, you know, adopting pagan practices and bringing it into the synagogue, it was a purified form of worship. They were focused on the true and living God. They were no longer distracted by paganism or idols. God had removed that from them. Uh, second last point, whatever number that is, six, I think it is, or seven, it's, um, there was this uh, network of Roman roads. The Romans were always building roads, primarily so they could move their armies with speed to any point of rebellion. But those same roads that were built for military purposes became avenues of trade and eventually of the Christian missionaries. The gospel being propagated, travel between cities became more readily accessible, more, it was much easier. And then finally, there was this growing dissatisfaction throughout the ancient world of paganism, of idols, of all these superstitions and things. And many people were abandoning it and were actively searching for something else, something real, which of course became 
a very fertile ground for the gospel. When the fullness of time had come, when all of these factors came together, and the Bible says, verse 4, God sent his son. Didn't make his son, his son is eternal. God is triune. God sent God the Father, sent God the Son, sent. The Bible doesn't say this, and in my mind I imagine it a little bit like that beautiful passage that Michelle quoted to us or read to us, Philippians 2. How the Son of God thought it not, um, equality with God was not something for him to hang on to. It was for his own selfish, if you like, reasons. But rather, out of motivation for us, he emptied himself, is the word. He emptied himself. It's like he took off the robes of his glory, his what? His power. He emptied himself. The Son of God gave, stood from his throne in heaven and left it, vacated it, and came to earth, sent by the Father, and he, in full agreement with him, humbled himself, not just to bring glory and revelation to God, but to save us. This was God at work. And then Paul says, very cryptically, that Jesus, this one who was sent by God, the son, was born of a woman. That could be a very subtle hint to the truth of the virgin birth, that he was born of a woman, born only of a woman. Maybe Paul's subtle inference. But I think what it definitely does mean is that Jesus was fully human. He was born of a woman, just like you were, just like I was, just like everybody is. So was he. He came into our world the same way. He became one of us. He came to be with us so that we could be with him. He came to restore, to reconcile. We'd been kicked out of the garden. We'd been separated from God. And God had been slowly working out his plan to bring us back to himself. In fact, way back in the book of Genesis, in chapter 3, still inside the garden, after Adam and Eve had sinned and God comes walking in the, cool of the, in the garden in the cool of the day and he confronts the man, the woman and the serpent. When God speaks to the serpent, speaks judgment, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the wild beasts and all the living creatures of the field, on your belly you will crawl and dust you will eat all the days of your life. Verse 15 says... And I would put hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring, your seed, and her seed. It's a strange expression. It could be singular and it could be plural. But as you go on, you'll find out it's singular. Her offspring will attack your head and you will attack his heel. Eventually, the seed of the woman was going to be a single individual, who will come and who will conquer the evil one, who deceived us, that led to us being excluded, alienated from the very presence of God, disinherited us because of our willful rebellion. God says he will send um, um, an individual who will be of the seed of the woman. And then we read here that uh, God sent his son born of a woman. 
Jesus was fully human, um, just like us. That's the point. Not only was he fully human, the next phrase is he was born under the law, born under the Jewish law. He became Jewish, but at least means that. But I think more importantly, what that means is he became a part of the members of the people of God who were under the authority of God's word, the scriptures, and that he was born in submission to the scriptures. He was to obey the law, the scriptures. And the reality is he did perfectly. He was born of a woman, fully human. He was born under the law, which he obeyed and kept perfectly. So therefore he is righteous. That's the point. God's Son, sent into the world, becomes fully human and he is righteous. And as a righteous, unblemished individual, he is able to do to achieve that which, for which he was sent. Verse 5. To redeem those who were under the law. That's why Jesus came, to redeem. Did a word search. I encourage you can do it too if you like. It's a bit of a study. Type into your Bible search engine or whatever. Type in, um, I have come. I have come. And look for all of those words. And you'll come up with 13 verses, or at least I did. Well, my computer did. Um, And there's lots of reasons why Jesus says, this is why I have come. Paul gives us one of them. He says, Matthew 5.17, Don't think that I have come to abolish the law. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfil them. That's why I have come, to obey the law, to be righteous. Matthew 10, I have come not to bring peace on earth, I have come to bring a sword. I've come to bring a division in families. I've come, I want your allegiance, uh, that you'll love me before your own loved ones and family. It's not that God is anti-family, but he's very much into being supreme, preeminent in our lives. Um, Mark 1.38 says, Jesus, I have come that I might preach. Um, John 10.10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Hebrews 10, I have come to do your will, O God. Jesus came primarily, three reasons. One, to reveal the Father. This is what God is like. Talk about that a bit more in a minute. He came secondly to ruin the devil, to undo the devil's power and the mess that he had made of the world. 1 John 3, 8, he came to destroy the works of the evil one. But Paul picks, and the primary reason he came was that he might redeem lost sinners. Reveal the Father, ruin the evil one, but to redeem us. That's why Jesus came. To redeem means that he came to pay in full, to pay the debt that we couldn't pay, to rescue us, to restore us, to buy us back, that we could have this relationship with God again. That which we lost, he has re-established. That's why he came. That's what Christmas reminds us about. And as Michelle rightly corrected us or instructed us at the beginning, it's about Jesus. It's not about families getting together. It's not about spending a fortune on presents. It's not about all the food. All of that's lovely. But it's his birthday. That's what we're remembering and celebrating. And we ought to keep that always central. When the appropriate time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. It doesn't stop there, it gets better. Not just to redeem, but so that we may be adopted as sons with full rights. Redeemed, set free, out of prison. 
but not just out of prison and free, but now bound, linked with the family. Adopted. The ancient Roman world had very strict laws, of which many of we have copied. I'm not sure about our adoption laws, if this is still true in Australia. But back in, ancient, in the ancient world, a father, natural children, he could disown. He could disinherit them. He could consider them to be dead and have nothing more to do with them. But if a child had been adopted, if a child who was not his own natural offspring had been selected by him and then legally adopted, papers signed and everything else, then the father could never disown. He was obligated for life. There was a permanency about adoption. That's what Paul says here that Jesus has come to redeem those who are under the law so that they may be adopted as sons. We are forever his. He will never disinherit us. It's wonderful security. And then verse 6, not only are we adopted, Jesus came that he could restore us to the status of sons, but verse 6, God has also sent the spirit of his son, the Holy Spirit, deep into our inner being, into our hearts, in order that we might experience this. Not just something for us to know, but something for us to experience. God sent his son into our hearts, and he, the spirit calls, Abba. Abba, which is translated for us, Father. That's what it means, Abba, Aramaic, Father. But Abba is also not technically Father, It's a far more intimate, personal, private word. It's the word that is used, well, if you're a parent, that's what your kids use, what they call you, if you're a dad, me. If you're a child, then it's what you call your dad. Not publicly, privately. You know how some families, and maybe you do, you have these own private, intimate terms that you call one another? That's what this word Abba is pointing to. Eleanor is my granddaughter. Let me explain it this way to you. She calls me something that she doesn't call anybody else. And if she ever calls that person this name, then I would have to kill that person. Now, the word she uses for me is not... It could be a public name. It's Papa. And Rhonda's got one as grandmother. She's Nonna. So we'd pinch the Italian words. And I'm... I'm the only popper that she's got. And she uses that of me and to me. And she says it beautifully. She says it in a way that only granddaughters can, I guess. Oh, push the pause button. Uh, Gretel, by the way, is expecting. The word that she 